From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Welcome to Waterworld. The tri-state area reeling tonight after a major winter storm swamped flood-prone parts of the region, and there's even more rain on the way. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Josh Einiger. Drenching rains, flooding, and fierce winds stranded cars, swamped neighborhoods, and knocked out power to thousands. The storm hit the tri-state area late last night and left a real mess behind, toppling trees, downing power lines, and trapping people in rising water. First responders forced to stage rescues of people on flooded and washed out roads. And guess what? There's another storm just days away. We have live team coverage tonight, but we begin with Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. And Lee, hopefully this next storm won't be quite as bad as the last one. No, but unfortunately, of course, the, the threshold for problems lowers when you have all this rainfall. So, yeah, the next one may bring an inch or two versus the two to four, even nearly five inches of rain we saw. But we're likely to see additional problems. The wind gusts approach 72 miles an hour. Island Beach State Park and lots of gusts over 60 miles an hour. You get a gust that goes over. 50 and you're talking about a damage threshold, but with all this rain, the trees are way more vulnerable, especially the ones with shallow root systems and even some of the gusts tonight could actually still take down some tree limbs. The river floodings are still widespread, but we'll see less green here on the map as we go through the next 24 hours because rivers like the Ramapo, Housatonic and Millstone, they'll go below flood stage. Even the Pompton and Raritan will as well. The Passaic and still they're likely to have some prolonged flooding and unfortunately that could continue into the next storm. Rivers like the Pompton and the Rockaway and the Raritan, they're all going to start going from this major flood stage into moderate and even below flood stage as we go through later Thursday and early Friday, whereas the Passaic will continue to climb and will probably crest Thursday evening and stay near that moderate to major flood level into the upcoming weekend with the next storm knocking on the door. Our temperature right now is 48. It's still rather gusty if you're headed outside. Those temps aren't all that bad, but we'll be dropping. Temperatures will be, our winds will be brisk through the evening hours. Uh, they'll be back off the winds will be, but they'll still be noticeable in a tomorrow less wind. So the rivers are receding, but rise Friday night again. The Passaic will stay high in terms of the next rainfall. That's going to have a little different timing than our last storm. It'll come in later Friday evening, go into the early morning hours on Saturday. Much of the day after daybreak will start to be dry on Saturday, but figure maybe 10 at night uh, on Friday to maybe five or six in the morning on Saturday, and that will bring another one to two inches of rain. The other difference with this system is that behind it, the air is significant colder has some Arctic air in there, so a cold blast and even a chance for more snow. Overnight tonight, skies will clear for many of us. Clouds will linger in the Catskills with a flurry. Cold tomorrow morning, not bad in the afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, mid and upper 40s, little breezy at times. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy to clear, and then on Friday, after a chilly start, we'll once again be in the 40s. Clouds will tend to increase, and then those clouds will thicken and rain will start to fall after Friday evening. There could be up to one to two inches of rainfall through the core of the area, and if this verifies that's the worst case because you would have the highest totals once again over the Passaic River Basin, Lower Hudson Valley, and into Connecticut. There's the way the storm looks peaking on Friday night and early Saturday. Cold blast by Saturday night and another storm ready to attack that cold air, and that could mean some snow right down to the coastline. 37 tonight, blustery early, then just clearing out. A little breezy at times tomorrow, but a nice day overall, 48 degrees to catch our breath. Tomorrow night down to 36. Here's your seven-day Yaki weather alert coming on Friday night for wind-driven heavy 
heavy rain into early Saturday morning. This time, temperatures don't just gradually fall. They crash down to about freezing at night. By Sunday, it's blustery and cold. And here comes the next storm to end the holiday weekend. By Monday night, snow or mix could be approaching the area, leaning towards snow in this storm. Maybe there is a mix along the coast, but I think we'll get significant accumulation if the track stays the way I see it. That would be into Tuesday and then much colder. The snow is not going anywhere right after that. Complete coverage on ABC 7 and Y and on Eyewitness News at 11 with AccuWeather. Josh. Wow, the Passaic River just can't catch a break. No it? doubt. All right, Lee, thank you. Speaking of the Passaic River, the storm may be long gone, but the crisis continues for people in flood-ravaged north and central Jersey. Some rivers are still rising. Others are dangerously high. Eyewitness News reporter Lindsay Tuckman is in Wayne along the Passaic River, where even more rain could be disastrous. Lindsay? Yeah, Josh, you may recall that this area had major flooding just a few weeks back right before Christmas. And then as you can see behind me, there's some major flooding now, but it really is expected to get worse by this time tomorrow. And some residents as they prepare have to get creative. Julie Lynch and her husband John prepared for the flooding in Wayne, New Jersey by making a last minute purchase. Yesterday, my husband said, look on Marketplace. And <laughs> within an hour, we had about They've lived on Ryerson Road for 25 years. This may be the last year, though, she says, as the flooding has become too much. Um, we knew that it was a flood area. Um, we were willing to take the risk, and we're getting older, my husband and I, and it's difficult to, you know, take everything you have downstairs and move it elsewhere. After heavy rains and flash flooding Tuesday night, the township is preparing for major flooding tomorrow when the Passaic River crests. A mobile command center has been set up in preparation of people needing to be evacuated. Mayor Christopher Vergano is urging people to leave now if they can. The water is coming up and those that were inundated three weeks ago, I would tell them to leave their houses now. All they have to do is look out the front door. The water is rising. Flooding north of Wayne has already led to road closures on Route 23. Police reminding drivers to take caution as well. Do not drive through our barricades. Do not drive through the water. It's dangerous. We have the resources to come rescue you if that if need be, but we don't want to do that. Now, 95% of the township, according to officials, is typically safe from these rising waters, but it's that 5% that really need to be careful when the Passaic River crests tomorrow around 5 p.m. I'll show you what it does look like right now because this is what will be worse tomorrow. Uh, the water is cold and it is dark and it is very deep. As you saw with the woman with the boat, you need a boat to get by and that's not necessarily recommended. We have talked to a few people here who aren't even able to get to their home. So that really is the concern right now and that is why officials here in Wayne are offering people the option to evacuate early if they have the option. Josh. Yeah, and Lindsay, this is you know now twice, as you say, in a month and the water will barely have a chance to recede before the next storm that comes toward the end of the week. So are people already looking toward that storm and talking about that? They are indeed prepared for the storm this upcoming weekend and are prepared with that mobile command center and telling people to evacuate or make a plan. But something else I do want to point out for the long term future, the town of Wayne, the township here of Wayne does offer residents a buyout program with funds from the federal government saying that if you don't want to deal with the flooding anymore, we will buy your home for a fair market price so you can move somewhere else. That is fascinating and something a lot of people I'm sure will start to think about because it seems to be happening more and more frequently these days. Lindsay Tuckman, live in Wayne in Passaic County. Thanks so much, Lindsay. And from Passaic, we move north to Bergen County. Eyewitness News reporter Darla Miles continuing our coverage live tonight from Lodi. Darla, good evening.
Good evening, Josh. As you mentioned, this has happened. It's becoming more and more routine. So today was an exhausting tw 12 hours here in Lodi, as you can tell. Um, it started earlier this morning with about 35 water rescues. That's when the river began to crest and uh, families could not get out of their homes and there were water rescues and cars were flooded out and the day ended here on Passaic, uh, on Terrace Avenue here uh, in Lodi. This large crane was brought in specifically to pluck a 20-foot, 5,000-pound shipping container. It had been lodged in the saddle in Saddle River and it was swept down the river in the floodwaters just like everything else. A state of emergency here, which is still in effect. Governor Murphy in Lodi Wednesday evening, assessing the flooding disaster with his own eyes. As I mentioned, we're going to do everything we can to try to get to that federal bogey for reimbursement, but that's going to be hard. This 20-foot metal shipping container, weighing approximately 5,000 pounds empty, had to be lifted out of the water with a crane after it was carried a mile down Saddle River as easily as a fallen leaf and got lodged underneath the Terrace Avenue Bridge. It was like a banging noise, and we were like, what is that? This week's overnight storm turning streets along the Saddle River into small tributaries, again flooding basements, knocking down fences, even turning this home that sits on its bank into a small island of its own. A current so powerful, these tree branches got stuck in the steel grating of another bridge, resembling the quills of a porcupine. Well, we're looking for help. We've been looking for help for years, and we started get, getting the runaround. Main Street near Route 46, under four feet of water at its highest on Wednesday. But it just looks strange without any movement at all. The ShopRite, CVS, and other businesses completely inaccessible. I want to make sure I point your attention to the Garcia family who's over here. She's been, they're crying. She wants to make sure she talks to you. They live right next door um, okay. and right where the shipping container is. So they okay. want to make sure they we'll get in touch with you when, you when this is over. So I want to make sure that we uh, represent I them as well. It. So, Josh, that was a rare opportunity that Eyewitness News was very happy to advocate for the Garcia family. Like uh, the Garcia family, lots of families here along Saddle River and Lodi are exacerbated by the constant flooding. Flooding, as you mentioned, that has become more and more routine, and they are looking for local, state, and federal assistance to get them out of this dangerous, annoying, costly routine of having to deal with floods after floods after floods. Josh. Darla, good for you on, on, on getting the governor's attention to, to their issues. Do they ever get to talk to him or his people? Do they get what they need? So we did see uh, the governor uh, had a conversation with the Garcia family. We've not had a chance to circle back with them to find out how productive that conversation was. But uh, we did know that they've been literally filing paperwork and paperwork out of paperwork. And one thing the family was particularly frustrated about is that there's a language barrier. And so they felt as if they were not being served as well. So they at least had a chance to speak with the governor. His aides were here. And as you know, you've been in the field. Uh, now they have a direct point of contact to hopefully move the needle forward on any federal or state or local assistance that they can get because they're in a low-lying area right next to Saddle River and um, you can't see right now but there's water pumping out like their whole the yard is destroyed it's yeah. a lot it makes all the difference to be able to cut through the red tape and actually speak to somebody certainly the governor uh, in a situation like that I have to ask you a question you may not know the answer to this where did the shipping container come from Okay, that's a story. There's always a story, right? 
<laughs> so uh, the Boys and Girls Club is about a mile up the river, and it literally was carried away from the back parking lot of the Boys and Girls Club. But this is really what's interesting about this story, Josh. Uh, the flood a few weeks ago here in Lodi, there was a garbage dumpster that did the same. It was lifted, carried down the Saddle River. It got lodged in the same space here on Terrace Avenue. And so when I spoke to the Garcia family, they heard a big bang this morning, and they said, well, I guess that's the dumpster again. Oh, and then they came outside. They were like, oh, that's Here not a dumpster. Again. So a big surprise there. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, uh, you, go ahead. I will tell you that uh, it's on the, that uh, containers on the other side of me, on the far side of me. And what uh, we heard from the county executive, Jim T uh, Tedesco, is that they're going to put it on a flatbed truck, take it back to the Boys and Girls Club, <laughs> put it back in place. And that operation uh, will be at their expense, not the county's expense. Well, hopefully it stays there during the next storm and they don't have another random piece of equipment showing up in their yard. Darla Miles, live in Lodi, thanks for sticking around for extra time tonight. And to Connecticut now in a partial dam break on the Yantic River that triggered evacuations in Norwich and Basra. The city of Norwich has issued a mandatory evacuation order for homes and businesses along the river. The American Red Cross is now stationed at Kelly Middle School to help people displaced from their homes and businesses. Power outages and flooding forced Norwich public schools to close today. Of course, stay with Eyewitness News on air and online for any new developments in the flooding throughout the tri-state and the very latest from AccuWeather. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time this Wednesday night, it's been a bad week for New York City Transit. Another train derailment to tell you about, this time in Coney Island. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. The MTA tonight is investigating its second subway derailment in a week. Service was severely disrupted on the F train, especially in Brooklyn, after a train jumped its track in the, near the aquarium in Coney Island. More than three dozen people had to be rescued, but fortunately no one was hurt. As Eyewitness News reporter NJ Burkett shows us, the Transit Authority is having a terrible week. It was a jolt, like, some, like if somebody took and pushed you. Passengers say it came as a shock. The F train was off the rails after coming to a grinding, screeching halt. Gregory Perlstein knew immediately that the train had derailed. The train just shook and went sideways. It went up and sideways. So that's what it felt like. So I knew right away it was a derailment. I've never experienced it before, but it was obvious. It happened at 1230 this afternoon. 37 passengers and crew were on board the train. There were no injuries and all were safely evacuated by firefighters. FDNY Assistant Chief Michael Mandala. We had two rescue cars pull up to the train on each side and just evacuate the people from uh, the north end and the south end. The cause of the derailment was not immediately clear. Transit Authority officials said the rail car was relatively new and the investigation is now focused on the tracks themselves. One photo obtained by Eyewitness News appears to show rails that were misaligned at the point of the derailment. Transit Authority President Rich Davey. You know, the track needs to be straight in order for uh, a train to, uh, to run, uh, run on top of it safely and, and without uh, a slow speed derailment as we had here. So we're going to look at that and see. It was the second derailment in the New York City transit system in less than a week. Last Thursday, two dozen people were injured after two trains collided on the Upper West Side at a relatively slow speed. Human error is suspected in that incident. 
and the NTSB is investigating. Look, we'll get to the bottom of this. I realize that uh, we had issues obviously last week as well, and uh, we'll get to the bottom of whatever uh, this is. But at this point, uh, from the um, collision we had last week and derailment today, don't seem like they're connected at all. No, not connected, but this could impact the NTSB's broader look at New York City Transit. As for service, it'll take a while to clear the tracks. Full service on the F train is not expected before the morning rush hour. In Coney Island, NJ Burke at Channel 7, Eyewitness News. There are new developments tonight on the race for president. Former New Jersey, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is suspending his presidential campaign before the first votes are even cast. Christie's been the toughest Republican critic of former President Donald Trump, but he kept trailing in the polls. Today, he blasted Trump again at a town hall in New Hampshire, minutes after dropping out of the race. It's the right thing for me to do. Because I want to promise you this. I am going to make sure that in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States again. And that's more important than my own personal ambition. Christie has not yet endorsed any of the other Republicans who are still in the primary race. And still ahead on Eyewitness News Extra Time tonight, potentially big trouble in tiny particles. The new study that found a massive number of plastic particles in your bottled water. We talked to one of the co-authors of this disturbing study next. And welcome back to news of a study that has some pretty disturbing and maybe not all that surprising results about something as simple as drinking water. The study found the average liter-sized bottle of plastic, plastic bottle of water, I should say, has nearly a quarter million invisible pieces of plastic. They call them nanoplastics, and then you drink them without knowing it. The nanoplastics were detected and categorized for the first time by a laser-guided microscope. Scientists have long assumed tiny particles of plastic leach off the bottle and into your drink, but until researchers at Columbia and Rutgers launched this study, no one ever knew how many or what kind. And of course, the next question, what does it mean for all of our health? I spoke with one of the co-authors of this new study, Dr. Phoebe Stapleton from Rutgers University. Phoebe, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. What? is your top line uh, takeaway from your research? So from this study, the top line really is the number of uh, nanoplastics we were able to find. Uh, we were able to identify about 10% of those. And the thing that was interesting to me was of those three different brands that we looked at, there were the top number, I guess, of one certain chemical wasn't the same between the three. Each brand had a different highest percentage of a certain a certain type of plastic. What does this mean that we're apparently drinking all this plastic? So that's my my part of the study is I'm I'm the toxicology representative from from the group. And so that's exactly what our lab is interested in. But in order to do that, we really need to understand what the dose is that a human might be exposed to. And further from that, we need to understand how much of those are getting into the body and even getting out of the body into other tissues. These nanoplastics are so small, they actually get through those biological barriers. So trying to understand what happens when the cells come in contact with these micro and nanoplastics is, is just what we're looking at. So 
is it, I guess, by that token, too early to say, you know, we're being exposed to carcinogenic material from these bottles, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, people are going to see this or are seeing this and are reacting with, uh, you know, a lot of concern. They are. And and in fact, you're right. It is. It's too early to tell. The early studies take cells, they take the plastic particles, and we see how the cells take those particles up, they internalize them or bring them inside. And in those studies, the scientists are seeing some DNA changes and they're seeing some oxidative stress. They're seeing some unhappy cells. That's partially based on the dose, partially based on the type of plastic. So this study really brings in some of that real world relevance of what those doses should be and what types of plastics might be more important than others. I remember having a conversation with a cancer researcher once talking about so you know, a general rise in cancers that they see. And that person said, and I'll, I'll never forget this, it's going to be the plastics. I guess I'm curious, based on the research that you've done so far, and obviously you're trying not to make too many leaps and trying not to freak too many people out unnecessarily without evidence. Uh, how do you react to that statement based on what you know now? I think there's some truth there. They're, they're everywhere we look. Um, it's something that if you look at the timeline of when plastics were brought into domestic settings, so early you know, 1920s, rise in World War II, and continue just exponentially from that point, they're legitimately everywhere we look. We're probably wearing some of them right now as well. And so I think there are some correlations that can come from that, but that true causality, because the causality is what we can treat. And without that causality, without that mechanism, we're just left in the guessing game. And I think that's really unfair. Which brings me to kind of the, 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 the final and perhaps most important question. What are people supposed to do with this information? I think right now this is an awareness, an awareness that these particles are legitimately everywhere we look. They're even invisible. If you didn't expect to, you can't see them in the bottled water. And so I think an awareness to lead to reducing use, reducing exposure, increasing recycling campaigns to try to bring more support and understanding to this concern is really important at this time. Do you, I mean, do you drink out of plastic bottles? Do you drink out of water out of glass bottles and, and everything? So my daily use is a aluminum bottle. And I've realized, especially this week more than ever, that that has a plastic lid associated with it that I screw on and off every time I try to refill it. Um, but I'm reducing plastic bottle use by by bringing that in and refilling it at the water cooler at work. Dr. Phoebe Stapleton, Associate Professor of Pharmacology and Toxicology at Rutgers and the co-author of, of, a, of a very interesting study out this week. Thanks so much for joining us and, and all the best to you and your continued research. And keep drinking out of that aluminum bottle, too. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. Not a bad idea to drink out of a, a bottle for sure that's not plastic. A lot of news tonight about water, none of it good. But finally tonight, a lighter look at today's flooding. Swamped streets on Long Island did not stop a father from his parental responsibilities. Despite the high water, he took his kids to school on a paddleboard. This was in Lindenhurst in Suffolk County. And then there's this, a winning piece of photojournalism. A picture of a person in a flooded Domino's in Norwich, Connecticut, Maybe he's wondering where he'll get his favorite pie while the pizza shop dries out. A reminder, stay with Eyewitness News on air and online for any new developments in the flooding throughout the tri-state 
And the very latest from AccuWeather. Of course, our team coverage of the flooding emergency in New Jersey continues on Eyewitness News at 11. We hope to see you then. For now, that is Eyewitness News. Extra time for this Wednesday night. It is a nice evening. Go out and enjoy it. Good night.